Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Let's go into prayer. That should always be the first thing when we enter into God's presence. Lord, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for what you're going to reveal to us from your word tonight. So I pray that you'd open hearts, open minds, open spirits to what your spirit would have to say to your church. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, we are in the book of Acts. I think you all are aware of what we're doing. We're kind of going through Acts from beginning to end with a variety of guest speakers so that each person gets a, gets a section and it's kind of a, an interesting way to do it. And it's a really good book to study in this season that we're in as we, as we look for a pastor. So I'm going to start at... Acts chapter 3, verse 1, and I'm just going to go verse by verse and extemporize, add a little bit of color into some of the verses. There's going to be a few verses that will launch off into some more detailed things, but for the most part, just going to go, just going to take it by the text. So, Acts chapter 1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. So first of all, we've got Peter and John. It shows up always that way. It's always Peter and then John in the book of Acts. Don't know why. Uh, It actually shows up their name seven times. What a coincidence. When in doubt, I was going to, I thought about throwing that out there to ask, but you you all are too trained. You would all answer, answer seven um, because you've heard me a few times. So this was the time of prayer. What's interesting is the the afternoon sacrifice came first. And then was the time of prayer. They did not go up to the time of sacrifice. Why? Because Jesus had paid the price. There was no longer any need, as far as they were concerned, for a sacrifice of sin. But there was still a reason to go to, um, to pray. Verse 2, now a man who had been lame from birth was carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. The, the gate Beautiful was the eastern gate. Josephus tells us that. It was beautiful. It was 75 feet high, wide, and covered in brass. And so brass shines in the sunshine. So imagine a 75-foot high and wide gate. It would have been um, spectacular. This man was lame from birth. We find out later that he had been lame 40 years. What does that have to do with anything? Well, there was another man that had been laid lame from, for 40 years in John chapter 5. I don't know if there's any coincidence between that, but probably. And it also could tie to the, to the children of Israel wandering in the desert for 40 years. And at the 40 year, they went into their promised land as well. Uh, but we're not going to look at any of that. We don't have time to take all the, little, uh, all the little side roads and alleys. Now, this guy was begging for alms. That was common when, when there was someone that was crippled or diseased. You sat there and and you're you're a beggar, you know, kind of like the you know we see around town occasionally. And and he went there to went there to to beg. Verse three: When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, "Look at us." So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. You know how, what that's like, the guys at the crosswalk or whatever, they're, they're asking for money, and you, know, you, you never want to look at them because it's, it's awkward. It's just, you know, first of all, the, the, 
the police and things have said, don't give money to these people because most often it's going to go for drugs, it's going to go for alcohol. You're really not helping them, even when you think you're helping them. I, I know it sounds mean, but that's the police department and others have said that. And, and I will say with the exception that when God tells you to do something, do it. So, but but I, I'm always kind of, you know, embarrassed that I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to give you any money. And, you know, and yet here, here Peter and James, they look at them and he's looking at them. And now verse six, he kind of says, silver and gold, I do not have. I can just imagine this guy going, well, what, what are you bothering? You know, you get out of my way. You're, you're keeping me from begging from people who do have money. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, he, right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts, walking and leaping and praising God. So that, that's, that's an amazing miracle. Let me ask you, whose faith healed the guy? Yeah, yeah, it, it wasn't the guy, it wasn't the cripple. He was not expecting it. It was, it was Peter moving in the Holy Spirit, and, and John, John as well, that said, you know, get up and do this. I, I, we were, my wife and I were in the, at the Vatican um, on our, our trip, and I came across this story. It's a story of, the car, of a cardinal in the 1500s, and by then the Vatican had become very wealthy. And he was walking with a monk in the Vatican court, which the Vatican is just outrageous. It's very, very wealthy. It's got precious art everywhere. And the cardinal said, you know, we no longer have to say, silver and gold have I none. And the monk replied, yes, but we can also no longer say, rise, take up your mat and walk. It's like, ooh. (laughs) You know, I wonder if the church has become too affluent that we've lost the power of God along the way. You know, I don't know. I know there were times in my life where I did some amazing things, and yet I'm not seeing those now. You know, it's not me. It's, it's God, working, God working through me. But the question is, you know, oh, the, there's another, uh, the, the word that says, um, jumped up and began to walk, and he was, his feet and ankles were made whole. That's a very precise medical term. That was from Dr. Luke, who was a physician. And it, it implies that bones were reset and recrafted. So his entire ankles and feet were reset and recrafted. Now, the interesting thing is, when all the people saw him praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit, sit begging, and they were filled with wonder and amazement. Filled with wonder and amazement. You know, God's purpose for miracles is not always, in fact, I would... I would argue that it's, it's seldom for the person getting the miracle. In, in Scripture, God's miracles are used to spread the gospel. God's miracles, every time in the New Testament we see a miracle, there's a message along with it. And usually it's a, it's a message about Christ and about, about uh, the power of the resurrection. So while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, never miss an opportunity to preach a sermon. You know, Peter's saying, okay, I, I, you know, God's done a miracle. He's bringing the crowds in. I've got a chance to preach Jesus. 
When Peter saw this, he said, fellow Israelites, why does it surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? That is a good thing. You know, when there's a miracle, we've got to always, always, always give the glory to God. I get very uncomfortable. It's not as much now, but in the 80s and 90s, there were some healing ministries, and some of you will know who they were, and they were some very flashy um, individuals with some very flashy clothes and some, you know, and, and they didn't always do a good job of giving the glory to God. And I always got very uncomfortable with that. I think we need to be careful that, um, that we give the glory to God. Whenever God does a miracle, you, you want to know who gets the credit? God gets the credit. God gets the credit. So now Peter's going to have a chance to speak, um, verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like a good Jew, he's starting with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's speaking to Jews. He's not trying to alienate them. The God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him, uh uh-oh, you handed him over to be killed, (laughs) and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy One of Righteousness and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this is the man whom you know and, and see was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through it that has completely healed him, as you can now see. So again, he's giving the faith, he's giving all the credit to Jesus. The, the man who was condemned or who, who was released when Jesus was condemned, his name was Barabbas. I think we can probably figure out what the name means, but you've probably never thought of it this way. Bar means son of in Hebrew. Abba is the father, so he's the son of the father. Well, that's interesting. What father? Well, he's a murderer. He's the son of somebody else, the, the Satan, who was a murderer and a deceiver from the beginning. And what do you know? The crowd demanded Barabbas over Jesus. Now, was it murder or was it an accident? Jesus said when he was hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They know not what they do. In our modern English, we would call that manslaughter. It is, it is murder, but it's not intentional. You didn't, you didn't mean to do it. Um, in the Bible, it talks about, uh, in the Levitical law, you know, if you're out chopping wood in the forest and the axe head accidentally flies off the handle of the axe and hits somebody and kills them, you didn't mean to kill them, but they, but they died nonetheless. And then there were some rules. All these bizarre rules in the Old Testament that actually have meaning once you get to the New Testament. What did you have to do if you accidentally killed someone? You had to flee to a city of refuge, and you had to stay there until the high priest died. The high priest died. What do you know? Jesus is our high priest, and through his death, he brings forgiveness for everyone. He brings forgiveness for everyone. You denied, going back to verse 15, you denied it. Many of your translations will say the, the word is archegos. The word is archegos. The NIV translates it as author of life. Some, some of your translations will say prince of life. Some of the translations say the first of life. 
author is probably the closest. It actually means a file and the first one in the file. So the first of a kind is, is the, the best uh, translation for that. So that word means like the first of a whole new kind. You know, if you're, if you're doing a filing cabinet and you want to do uh, customers or invoices or something in a year, and then you get to a new year, you start all over again, that's the, that's the idea of that word, is that Christ's resurrection was the first of a kind, and it allows the same thing, the same thing for us. It is the name of Jesus that, that in faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can now all see. He then goes on, now fellow Israelites, I know you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. That's, that's the, they're innocent. It's manslaughter. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying his messenger would suffer. Now he gets to the point, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Even Jesus. Now, what does this mean? This is, this is an interesting phrase. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, even as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. The restitution of all things is what happens in the year of Jubilee, and then there is going to be sort of a spectacular eternal year of Jubilee, you know, when Christ comes a second time. The year of Jubilee... If you don't know, if you don't know your Old Testament, this was supposed to be every 50 years they were supposed to do some things, and there's no record that they ever did it, which is interesting. So the the first of all, there there was the the seven sevens of of Daniel that God held them accountable to, to know. There were seven. <laughs> getting too little bit off track but Daniel said 77s are, are required for your for your people for these various things 490 years because they hadn't let the land they haven't they didn't do what they were supposed to do every seven years every seven years they were supposed to let the land lie fallow they were supposed to not not sow not reap just let the land go every seven years they didn't do it after 490 years, he said, you owe me. Those 70 that the land that, that you didn't give me, you're going to spend those in captivity, and the land is going to lie fallow for 70 years. And it happened exactly to the day. If we go and look at Daniel and those various scriptures, it happened to the exact day that God brought them out of the land of captivity because, the, because of that sin. So if God took that promise... And held him accountable. By the way, it's also interesting that, you know, Peter asks the question, how long, Lord, how many times, Lord, should I forgive my brother? Seven times. And, and Peter answers, no, 70 times seven, which is 490. That's exactly how many times God forgave Israel for not, not doing his command on the land before he said, that's enough. That's enough. 470, you owe me 70, and if you're not going to give it to me here, you're going to give it to me in captivity. So the year of Jubilee, what did, the, what did the year of Jubilee mean? The year of Jubilee was all debts were forgiven, okay? All slaves released from bondage. 
liberty to all captives. Families were reunited in the ancestral land. That's interesting. Families reunited and the land reverted to its original owner. That was supposed to be every 50 years. There is no record that they ever did it once. They forgot that command as soon as they entered into the promised land and they never got it right. What's interesting? So, so what? You're, you're, you're starting to roll your eyes and say, okay, that's a little interesting, but not really. You know, so what? So Joshua, the time of they entered the promised land until the time of Jesus was about 1,500 years. The time of Jesus to now is about 2,000 years. That's about 70 jubilees. Now I'm getting interesting. Now, now what's the exact date? We don't know. That's the problem. We, we don't know the rules precisely. We don't know precisely how it's calculated. We don't know the precise day that God said, you're in the land and the clock starts now. Did it happen when they first entered into the land? Did it happen after they'd completely subdued the land and divvied it up among all the tribes? We don't know. But the interesting thing is, somewhere around, give or take, 2030 is about when the 70th jubilee would be plus or minus 20 years i mean it, it's that broad a, it's that broad a guess and it, it's just it's just my intuition that something spectacular will likely happen on the 70th the 70th jubilee because god's going to say now's my time if you if you haven't honored all these rules i'm going to come and i'm going to honor them for you, and I'm going to do all the things that the, the year of Jubilee said. Okay, let's continue. Um, for Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will immediately be cut off. Indeed, beginning with Samuel and all the prophets, they have spoken and foretold these things, and you were heirs to the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring will all the earth be blessed. All the earth. Again, he's come back to that point where he's saying, this isn't just for the Jews. The Jews were very insular, and for most of their existence, they thought that if, if any blessing came, it would be the Jews kind of conquering or, or blessings would come that way. But that's not what God said to Abraham. God said, well, through your offspring will all the earth be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Okay, now we get to a section that I, I kind of find this funny. The priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the, to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. They were also kind of implying that the leaders had screwed up. That's, that's what you've got going on there. So the, the, the temple leaders and the officials, there were two groups of leadership. Um, the power was beginning to shift from the Pharisees to the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the conservatives. They were so dogmatic that they were the ones that would strain the, the, the gnat through the, the eye of the, you know, if, if you did any little thing wrong. They were the ones that were counting their, their tithes of their, if, you know, I, if there's 10 seeds, I'm going to give one to the Lord. I'm going to keep nine for me with, the, with tweezers. They were the, the religious conservatives to an extreme. The Sadducees were the opposite. 
The Sadducees were the liberals of the day. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in anything supernatural. So the Sadducees are having a lot greater problem with this, with this uh, miracle and with Jesus and his resurrection um, because they just fundamentally didn't believe it. By the way, there are a number of Pharisees that we, we find becoming Christians, getting converted and becoming Christians. Paul is, the, is a great example of it. Gamaliel was another one. Nicodemus, we think, became a, became a believer. There is no example of a Sadducee ever becoming a believer. That's interesting. If you deny the miraculous, if you deny the miraculous, what is there? You know, if, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if you don't believe in the miraculous, um, what can you believe in? Let's see. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail till the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number, of, number who believed grew to about 5,000. So 3,000 had gotten converted on, on Pentecost. To, uh, here, here they've gotten uh, 2,000 added. Some of your translations will say 5,000 were saved. It, the implication, though, is that the 5,000 includes the 3,000 before. So it probably is, is, a, is a, this is a correct translation, that it was a net 2,000. Verse 5, the next day the rulers and the elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas. You remember those two names from the, the crucifixion? Um, one was the legitimate priest, one was appointed by by Rome, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? By the way, that part of what they're doing is correct. In Deuteronomy, there is a command that if somebody does a miracle, you're supposed to look into it. And if it's a miracle under another name or not by Jehovah God, not by Yahweh, if it's a miracle that's designed to lead you away, in spite of the miracle, you're supposed to kill the guy. Pretty, pretty harsh crime. So we don't want to, we don't want to be too harsh on him here because they're, they're doing what they should be doing. They're looking into it. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness showed to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, all you people of Israel. So he's kind of turning it around and saying, now really, guys, you're trying to investigate. We did a good thing, and you're getting mad about it, Um, even though they did have a religious grounds to stand on. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you... That's another one. That's another seven. That, that phrase, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, shows up seven times. Who was crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Once again, 100% of the credit going, going to Christ. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given to heaven by which we must be saved. This is a very... Um, it's scriptural, but this is not the way is broad, and there's lots of ways to heaven and things like that. He's being very, very clear that there's no other name under heaven by which we can by which we can be saved. The name of Buddha doesn't save you. The name of Krishna doesn't save you. The name of Muhammad doesn't save you. Only the name of Jesus. 
Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven to mankind by which we must be saved. Let's see here. Am I skipping anything? Continuing on. But since they, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were... Here, they're going to make three mistakes and realize that they were unschooled, ordinary, the the word is is ignorant, it's unschooled and ignorant. Um, They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know, that's, first of all, they weren't unschooled and they weren't ignorant. They'd spent two years living and breathing with the word of God. You know, you, you can't get much much better than that. And they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter's two sermons are so, first sermon and this is his second sermon, are so drastically different from the Peter we find in the Gospels. The Peter we find in the Gospels, yeah, no. He's, he was always kind of ready, shoot, aim, you know, kind of putting his foot in his mouth. He was the guy that, you know, denied Jesus three times. And yet when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he becomes completely different. He becomes a great orator, a great orator. You know, he was not unlearned. He was not ignorant, but they thought that. Um, but they, then they realized he had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they confirmed together, what are we going to do with these men? They said, everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign. We cannot deny it. That's interesting. If they could have denied it, they would have. If they could have denied the the resurrection, they would have. But they couldn't. But to stop this thing from spreading any further, why do you want to stop it from spreading further? But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to no longer speak in this name. They called them in and commanded them not to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, this is great. Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judge, for we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. You know, they're, they're not talking theology. They're not going to, they said, I'm not going to get into an argument with you because you guys are the leaders and the law. I'm just talking about what I've seen and heard. And that is a powerful witness to us. If you're never, if you're ever not sure what to say, you know, go back to, go back to first principles, share your story because nobody can dispute your story. Your story is unique to you and your story, what you've seen and heard about God Maybe just the just the encouragement that somebody else needs. Um, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the, the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all, all that they had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them. This is interesting because this word for sovereign Lord is only used a couple of times. It's actually, in, in Greek, it's despotes, which is where we get the word despot from. Despot is like dictator. That's, that's a very bad word in, Eng, in English. Um, but the, 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 the derivation of that is it meant master, uh, like a slaveholder. 
It meant somebody that you owed absolute obedience to. That's, that's a very unusual word for Lord and not the typical one, but it fits, it fits this, particular, uh, this particular context. Um, they raised their voices together. You made heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David. David, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. That has got to be the stupidest thing you, you could do. Can you imagine armies saying, let's go to war against the maker of heaven and earth? And that's what it says. That's going to happen at the end times. That is going to happen at the end times when the armies of the world are going to be brought together and they're going to fight against God. It's not a fair fight, as you can imagine. Um, that, that, all, that all comes from, um, comes from Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter, we do not have time tonight to go there. Um, but I encourage you at your own leisure. Psalm chapter 2 is really interesting. Um, it's got a lot of interesting things in it. It's four couplet, four, tri, what's a three-verse thing? Four triplets? Four triplets. The first triplet is the voice of the nations saying, let's get God. Let's throw off our restraints. Let's rebel. Let's rage against God. And then you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit having a conversation. Verses four through six are the voice of the Father. Verses 7 through 9 are the voices of the Son. And verse 10 through 12 is the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's actually very interesting if you, if you diagram it. But it's the entry. It's, the nations are saying we want to throw off restraint. We want to throw off everything that, it, that holds us back. What kinds of things are being thrown off today? Well, where do I begin? I mean, yeah, yeah, all, yeah marriage, um, heterosexuality, that pretty much everything in the Ten Commandments, you know, the rule of law is moving rapidly toward a rule of lawlessness, and very quickly it is becoming illegal to say and do what's right and legal to say and do what's not right. And, and you, can just, you can just see it happening. Um, so I, you, you can look at that on your own. Um, going back to this, verse 27 Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles, the people of this, this city, to conspire against Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Pastor spoke five or six messages on this, so I'm not going to spend too much time. But I think it's interesting that out of all the things they could have prayed about, they could have prayed about their safety. They could have prayed about doing what's right. They could have prayed about the, the power and the opportunity for more miracles. They prayed for boldness. And then verse 30, that's our theme for the year. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. That's a prayer that was answered because it was a prayer that's in, in God's will. Um, 
six minutes to get through the rest. All believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money for sale, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was given to anyone who had need. Well, that sounds a little bit like communism, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk on, but it's not. It's, it's koinonia, because communism says, what's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it by force. Koinonia says, what's mine is yours, and I will gladly share. Very different, very different. There's no, there's no biblical, um, God doesn't say that this was right or wrong. But we do find out from some of Paul's letters that it quickly got out of hand. Because Paul, Paul didn't like this, this um, share with everything freely. So Paul put some rules in. And, and we, we use those rules here. I mean, the church has a benevolence program. We give to the needy in the, in the church. Um, there is a fund for that. We help people out. I don't know if you knew that, but, but we do. Um, and it's, it's a very good program. So the first thing is the church must discern who the truly needy are. Okay, that's obvious. If one can work to support himself, he is not truly needy and must provide for his own needs. That's in 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 Timothy 5, 8, 1 Thessalonians. If a family can support a needy person, the church should not support them. It should be up to the family first. These church welfare programs were really for widows, orphans, um, crippled, people that were destitute that had nobody else to help them or depend on. Um, those who were, who were supported for the, by the church had to make some return to the church body. In other words, they needed to help in the church. Uh, it's, it's also right for the church to examine a person's morality and moral conduct before giving them support. That's 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 13. In other words, we don't pay if somebody's a, a drug abuser or something like that. We're not going to give them food or give them shelter if they're not going to be living a godly lifestyle. It, it's, that's not the intent. And then finally, the, the support should be for the most basic of necessities. You know, Paul said, if a man can work, he needs to work to eat. Um, God really isn't in the, the game of this uh, and, and it sounds a little harsh, but, it, but it, it is the idea of empowerment. Work is empowering, and caring for family and caring for friends and caring for family members is empowering to the family. And, you know, if, if the church gets into so many of these things, um, I, I don't think it's in God's will. It's interesting that a few years, within a few years, the church in Jerusalem was destitute. Paul is having to take up collections from the other churches to send them back to Jerusalem because the church at Jerusalem was destitute. So again, God doesn't say that this way they were doing things was the right way. And in fact, we can kind of infer from elsewhere in the scripture that maybe they'd taken the, the idea of generosity a little bit too far. Um, verse 36, Joseph a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, 
sold a field he owned and brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. We'll hang, we'll hang a period there. This Joseph was a wealthy person. He was probably related to John Mark through a variety of things. Um, he, was, he was a son of encouragement. That's all it says. But we learn a little bit more about him from his, his ministry with, with Paul. It's interesting that at first it's Barnabas and Paul, and then later it becomes Paul and Barnabas, and then later they, they separate and go their own ways, only to be uh, reconciled later, later in life. Barnabas was a son of encouragement. Would that that could be said for each one of us? You know, it, it doesn't say what he did to, to be an encourager. It's, it's silent on that. He doesn't say how he got that reputation. But all the things that you can think of, if we can encourage one another, if we can lift them up, if we can be peacemakers, if we can be someone who helps somebody else out, and somebody who is always encouraging, you know, I pray that you know, God would say that about me and about all of us. Can you imagine what it would be to be in a church of 400, 500, 600, where everyone was an encourager? everyone was an encourage that'd make pastor whoever the pastor is that'd make pastor gary and the other pastoral staff happy if they're constantly being encouraged you know and and no complainers that doesn't say he was a complainer he was a son of encouragement so i'll end on that it is right at 7 30 so pastor janelle will, will thank me for not keeping you long but let's let's close in prayer Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would be a son of encouragement, that we would encourage one another, that we would look for the good in others and not be shy about sharing it. Lord, that these other lessons, Lord, that we would give you all the credit. When there's miracles, when there's good things, Lord, that we would always remember to give you credit and put you first. And then the last thing is, Jesus is, just as the song said, Jesus at the center of it all. They're constantly preaching and sharing Jesus. I pray that that would be said for all of us. Amen. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.